been away a long while. It's been quite some time since I, I stepped foot in this building and it brings back a lot of memories. I got to preach twice in chapel while I was a student and I found it intimidating then and I don't wasn't sure if I would find it that same way. So far, yes, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> but on the plus side, I had, uh, at least I had Erica reading the scripture because the, the, the thing, strangely enough, the thing I remember finding the most intimidating about coming and doing this here was, was watching Dr. Allison Trites there reading along with me, but through it directly from his Greek New Testament and just thinking, wow, I really don't know anything, do I? <laughs> uh, thank you, Stuart, for the invitation to, to be here. It's, what, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be back. And, and congratulations, by the way, on your full professorship. That is exciting <laughs> news as well. So I am, I'll give a little bit of my story through the message, but because uh, uh, it's not hard to sum up in that I haven't gone very far. I grew up in Lower Sackville. I you know, eventually went away to Dalhousie University for a, for a time. Then I came here and then I went back to Lower Sackville to Faith Baptist Church and I'm still there. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a succinct bio, but it's a, it's a pleasure to be there. It's a pleasure to be able to connect with uh, the college and what it does in certain ways. So we're going to be hosting uh, Stephen McMullen and one iteration of his uh, leadership course coming up in the new year and uh, looking forward to getting to facilitate that and be part of that. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you guys are, are coming back in one way, because the last time we hosted an Acadia course, it was Dr. Robbins, and she came in the middle of our sprinkler system being torn out and replaced. And so I said, I, I don't know, I want to just make sure they know now that every single one of our rooms has both excellent Wi-Fi and a ceiling. And so it's a wonderful place to be. We have a word of prayer before I carry on this morning. God, I thank you for the your your presence in in this place i thank you for the opportunity to to stand to stand back here in a slightly different space and god i pray that you will take the the ideas and thoughts and uh, and notions and connections that that i sought to put together and through your spirit make them real and valuable and and profitable for those here and above all lord, lord jesus help me not to worry months about once about impressing anybody in this room in jesus name amen so in thinking about joining you this morning with a preaching date in December, I was, I was drawn to, to Mary's song, otherwise, of course, known as Mary's Magnificat. And there were two things that struck me about the Magnificat in the year 2021. And the first of those things is that I'm now 37 years old. You know, I've been pastoring for about 13 years, married for 15 years, you know, just a little while ago became a dad for the third time. And all of that, it probably ought to bring about a certain degree of maturity, or at least one would hope. And yet, when I see the word Magnificat, I continue to picture a crime-fighting feline wearing a little mask and a cape and <laughs> spandex outfit of some kind. So apparently, this is just never, ever going to go away for me. The, the second, and I hope more relevant thing, is that it's been a bit of a journey where I feel like I now get Mary's song in a way that perhaps I didn't used to. It's not that I didn't used to understand the words that are there. Um, you know, I'd like to think that my time at Acadia Divinity College trained me reasonably well to work out the main themes and the scriptural and cultural context that we're dealing with. And we can, of course, back up a little bit into Luke 1 and see Mary being approached by an angel who would give her this good news about her part in God's plan, about a plan that was going to upend her life in ways that she could not possibly have imagined or prepared herself for. 
And we can appreciate the courageous faith of a young woman who would say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Right? God, you want to take me out of total obscurity and into the dangerous center of your plan? Well, be my guest. Bring it on. Maybe I will learn to trust God like that one day. And then she visits her relative Elizabeth, where this message is affirmed, not only by Elizabeth herself filled with the Holy Spirit, but you know, by John the Baptist in the, in the womb, leaping, confirming this. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary really does seem to feel blessed. Her song speaks of this joy that she's experiencing, which goes right down to her soul because of the way God has been mindful of her, because her God has seen her. And she believes that, yes, I, she's been chosen to do something that is going to reverberate through the generations. And then Mary moves to extol God's virtues. And she goes straight to matters of justice as the bulk, really, of her song. He has scattered the proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And of course, Mary, we know, is, you know, she was just one of those common people of her day. She lived an utterly powerless life in that world, in that system. People like her were often hungry and oppressed and discouraged. They had no real way to influence or fight that system. And when some people tried, like those Jewish zealots, you know, when they violently opposed Rome, really that just made life harder on all the ordinary people who then suffered from the backlash. And so it always made sense to me that Mary would, of course, yearn for her world to be turned upside down. What it's taking me time to get is why I should desire the same for our world. And grappling with this has been this steady process of what I'm calling blessed disillusionment, which... I think hope and pray has the effect of making someone a little wiser in their service, giving them more appreciation for the safe people and places that they come across and moving them toward greater trust and reliance on God. And you know, disillusioned is kind of an interesting word. The, the major dictionaries aren't even in full agreement on the, the, the meaning and force that goes behind it. And Stuart, I wasn't quite sure uh, if I could get away with it, but I did contemplate starting this whole sermon with Webster's Dictionary defines disillusionment as and just to see if you'd be able to keep a straight face or not over there as the preaching professor, but would have been hard with the mask anyway, I guess. But there are, there is a, a difference of opinion about what this is about, or at least different elements that are captured. One says it's about being disappointed and unhappy because of discovering the truth about something or someone that you liked or respected. Another says it's about having one's ideals or illusions or false ideas about something or someone losing those about having those shattered still another says it's having lost faith or trust in something formally regarded as good or valuable and all of these capture some element that i think is correct right? losing false ideas or illusions that speaks to that period of discovery when you come to see something more for what it truly is and no longer trusting something you thought was trustworthy, that speaks to that long-term impact of disillusionment when, you know, fundamentally changes the way you think now. And that first definition, it mentions the emotional component, which is tied up in this, that feeling of disappointment, unhappiness. Really, I think that's the mild end of the spectrum. And when you discover that someone you respected is far from who they purport to be, or when a group or organization 
eats its own, that can be more than disappointing. That can be crushing. That can be devastating. And if you felt this, you know it. And the more you care about a person or a group or an organization that you become disillusioned with, the worse it feels and the more likely it is to change your outlook in some major way. But if it is true that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, then experiencing disillusionment can be helpful, useful even, an opportunity to better fulfill that purpose to which we have been called as we seek to serve our God and imitate his son. I think my first dose of that blessed disillusionment came my way alongside my own sense of, of calling to pursue uh, ministry, to come, to come here for my studies, to, to go into vocational ministry full time. And there was a period really of just a couple of weeks in my life way back then as a, as a teenager when, well, I guess not quite a teenager, early 20s when this one happened, but you know, someone first of all had thrown burning material into our church's nursery and set the building on fire. That's one thing in a couple week period. A delegation from the deacons board I was serving on had gone to have a conversation with one of our worship teams that had gone so badly that every member of that team and their families left our church. Uh, a pastor I knew pretty well had been rapidly run out of his church on a rail, and this was maybe the first time I'd really seen this up close. It, I have a long list now. And, and uh, the camp I was working at that summer had gone through this spiritually bizarre and confusing night that I can't even properly or concisely explain, but it led me to this moment of sitting on this rock overlooking our playing field very, very early in the morning, you know, having my time of prayer and having it occur to me that it was my desire more than ever now to still head toward full-time ministry. And so God gave me this gift, this gift of knowing what that decision might cost, losing some illusions. It didn't stop me from loving the church it did help me see what I was choosing to love a little more clearly. It also made my wife and I resolve that so long as I was a pastor, we were never going to own a home that couldn't be quickly and easily sold for a good value. <laughs> Blessed disillusionment can be painful, but ultimately it comes with an opportunity or even a gift to help us grow as the people God has called us to be, to be better able to serve effectively because of the wisdom that grows out of it with proper reflection at least, and sometimes some healing. <clears throat> Another consequence of blessed disillusionment, I think, is the way it helps you appreciate the people and the places that are safe and helpful and where you know that they are truly trying to be what they say they are trying to be. And for me here at Acadia Divinity College, that was one of them, and I remain thankful for it uh, all the time despite, of course, feeling a little out of place, because I came here out of my, uh, my ge geology degree at Dalhousie. And um, yeah, that's where, I, that's where I pull out my dad joke that says that uh, once I studied the ages of rocks, but now the rock of ages. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I deserve that. All right. <laughs> but I came out of that, and, and I'm here with all these people, and they, you know, they went to what was ABU then, they had their religious studies minors, they knew what exegesis meant, they knew who this Zwingli guy was, I did not know what was going on, and the imposter syndrome was real for a little while, but eventually I found that footing, and I, I came to be, I was blessed coming through with a pretty large cohort of uh, students who were studying full-time in person, the kind of people who would all go to the Front Street Cafe after class, or have stiff competitions of Skipbo and Rook in the student lounge in between classes and where we discuss those ideas and assignments and theories and hopes and frustrations and 
gain perspectives from our diverse backgrounds, because of course we had Baptists and we had Salvation Army and Presbyterians and Mennonites and a former Catholic for good measure. I even succeeded, I just was just learning that the baptismal tank here is gone and thinking, oh, that, that was the site of one of my greatest triumphs here because I, in practice baptism, I finally got one of my Presbyterian friends her believer's baptism. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, of course it was, you know, practice session, so she doesn't think it counts, but we'll see what God says in the end. <laughs> and I still count myself as blessed to have studied here under professors who embrace the complexities and acknowledge the uncertainties of biblical studies and Christian theology, while providing that example of, of humble faithfulness, commitment to both the seminary community and their church communities. So let me say, if you have found people here that you really and truly track with, whose sincerity of faith is very clear to you, who would feel that's someone that I can trust, then do whatever you can not to lose track of each other, because those relationships are more precious than you may realize. You will need them. They do not form quickly or easily as you move on from, from here to wherever you go next. Let's see if I can get this next page to flip. And then I moved on from here. And it was time for some few new rounds of blessed disillusionment as well. I began at the church I serve now, and I was the first full-time pastor called to it since uh, for quite a few years, since the last pastor had been removed after triggering a church split that left that church with a small core of mostly older members uh, together in this big building with an impossible mortgage. And which is, you know, obviously the ideal situation for a 24 year old new seminary graduate. And many illusions about how much I knew and how effective it would be to throw myself into rebuilding programs instead of walking alongside people in their woundedness and their total lack of trust in any kind of pastoral leadership at all. I needed some blessed disillusionment to start trusting myself a lot less and my God a lot more. There were also seasons of not so blessed disillusionment, the kind where I was just weary of seeming to be banging my head against a wall for no good purpose. You know, could these people be moved to something healthier, even if they were willing to? Had my efforts so far been, been worthless? Was it good for anyone if I persevered here? And at least I think I know some of the answers to those questions 12 years on. They've kept me that long so far. And this, but though it came especially real for my wife, Amy and I, you know, that's kid number three. When kid number one arrived, they were the kid of Faith Baptist Church. And that's a little heart-wrenching for a parent wondering about, you know, what does your child need? And what is the community that they need growing up into in the world that they're growing up into? And then God moved. Right? And new families and new children arrived on the scene at just that right time for there to be a Sunday school, for there to be families who could walk together in faith. It's been so good to us in that. And then there was an atmosphere of hopefulness and uh, it grew and there was momentum of the church and that change. And it looked like at long last, we might be coming back just in time for COVID-19, right? <laughs> Pulling the, the rug under, out from under so much of that. And along with the pandemic, though, there came these new levels of seeing things at work in this world, new levels of ugliness in politics, new clashes over racial justice, the varied responses to public health rules and vaccines, the economic hardship and lack of opportunity for, for many, especially among certain groups of people who had always had that struggle and now had it magnified. And suddenly, for me, it makes so much more sense that Mary would cry out to God to scatter the proud 
to bring down the rulers from their thrones, to lift up the humble in their place, to fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. And there was a, a season of, of disillusionment that followed some of this for me, because, especially because of there's so many voices of the church, so many influences of the church, which were, and in some cases still are, making these things worse rather than better. American evangelicalism and its Canadian spinoffs have shown itself to produce so much bad fruit, so too much that I would see myself trusting its big institutions or leaders or books or resources anymore without a whole lot of very careful vetting. And now that I see the many ways that it is about power rather than the gospel, it's, it's hard to unsee that. And so I'm still trying to figure out what that means for me, for all the influences that I absorbed over the years in the shadow of that very influential force. What beliefs and ideas are drawn from that, and are they right? The process of figuring out which meat should be eaten and which bones should be spilled out is not easy or quick. I passed by my bookshelf in my office this week, and I noticed uh, a book that was required reading for me at a time when I was here, written by an author who we now know sexually harassed, harassed the, the women he worked with, who had an authoritarian and toxic leadership style who ought to have been held to account for that leadership for years and years as he continued to hurt people but was protected by a church that cared more about its image than about these these stories of harm and hurt and this is not at all a rare story that's been repeated over these past few years god scatter the proud lift up the humble and it's of course not just due to the pandemic but due to the fundamental ways we've set up an economic system and we just consider normal that, you know, I'll know I'll have lots more people this winter coming and hoping for help with oil or, or needing help with, with food as its prices rise rapidly, seeing if our church can help. God, feed the hungry with good things. Send the rich away empty. Over the past week, I've had multiple church members in palliative care. Uh, the funeral for the first to have passed is tomorrow. God, extend your mercy. And because, of course, it would all happen in this one week, I would end up with, you know, unexpected, emotionally charged meetings with uh, my leaders. My daughters both got bugs that led to them vomiting <laughs> and trying to stay ahead of the, the laundry at home. And I think, God, help your servant. Always, but especially right now. This was also the week when I woke up to something I maybe I had been trying to avoid thinking about. But thinking about the fact that these next two years... You know, these next two years of trying to come back in local church ministry, trying to rebuild with fewer volunteers and reduce resources, overcoming the congregation's wariness and weariness, this will probably make the last two years look quite easy. And I think I probably have a lot more to work with than many of our smaller churches do. This was the week that I met with and realized just how beat up some of my local pastoral colleagues are come to learn about more situations of, of stress leave and early retirement and serious thoughts about stepping away maybe maybe just for a season i'm not sure god remember to be merciful so this is what i mean when i say that this year better than any previous year perhaps i'd like to think i'm starting to not just accurately understand the words of mary's magnificat but that i'm getting closer to getting it and after summarizing the kind of week it's been, now the kind of week all pastors recognize and know they're going to walk through from time to time, 
uh, you can see why I might have been tempted to call off my trip up here today. <laughs> I was actually offered the opportunity to come speak in October, but I thought, no, that's going to be too hectic. I should probably see if they can push that a little farther in the season. But I've been lo very much looking forward to being here. I've been excited to get to, to come here and be with you. And I don't want to leave this on a depressing note. Because if I get the second half of Mary's Magnificat better than before in some real ways, I hope that I appreciate also the first half just as much or in a, in a new way as well, that I resonate with that. Because God is mindful of me and he sees me and he sees you and he must be sustaining me because I'm still standing. And his call and his purposes for all of us are good. And it's never been more important for me or for you to respond to that call with all of the skill and the integrity and the faithfulness that we can muster. I want to serve and lead in God's church in this next season as much as I did in the summer of 2006, sitting on a rock in the middle of a ridiculous night at Bayside Camp, even if I know more about what the struggles and costs of that might be. And in the midst of it all, I recognize that God has richly blessed me. And I take seriously Jesus' teaching that from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be demanded. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, much, much more will be asked. And he would not ask if he will not supply. I don't think Mary was disillusioned at the state of her world. I don't think she was ever illusioned in the first place. But I've needed some blessed disillusionment, and I still do. Because I need to see what is broken in the world and in the church. And not just for me, but for those who are unlike me. Those who are often overlooked. Those I'm better called to serve and understand. Because as daunting as the road back from COVID is, it's also a chance to choose better paths and build things that serve all people better. So are you connecting with some of this? <laughs> Have any of you been feeling a little disillusioned at the state of the world over the past couple of years? Right? And if not, how? <laughs> You've been disillusioned by the worldliness that sometimes we find in the church along the way. And could that actually be a blessing? Not to discount in any way the feelings and the hurts that can come with it. But God can even use that to move us toward wisdom and toward greater trust in him. I believe that one way we move toward Christian maturity is by becoming disillusioned with the world and sometimes the ways the church acts just like it in step with how we grow our faith and trust in God. And nobody ever explained it to me quite that way, but I think there may be something to that. And remember that we don't belong to this world, that Jesus has chosen us out of this world. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And John's epistle says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And whoever does the will of God sometimes gets to see God move. We don't usually get to know how or when. It's hard to be patient when the world seems to be growing darker instead of lighter. But in his way and in his time, God shows up on the scene, quite literally 2,000 years ago, thanks to an extraordinary ordinary looking young woman 
but also quite beautifully still today at different points along the path that he has placed us upon in ministry. So please uh, join your prayers to mine as I seek to close on a note of encouragement. Mighty God, everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, thank you for this place where those who love and desire to serve you can explore their calling and be equipped for a world that is changing so quickly and placing many people under great strain today. Help them to see how they can follow you in the fullness of who you made them to be and find their place of service that will draw on their gifts and challenge them to grow in their desire to know and imitate your son. Sustain them through these remaining days and through those very last papers of the semester that they definitely started weeks ago and are nearly finished. <laughs> Bless and sustain the staff and the professors here. We badly need knowledge and expertise guided by faithfulness and integrity. There's a less, it's a less common uh, combination than I once thought. Please guard them and help them remain a trustworthy source of ideas and training and correction that your church needs. Rest among the disillusioned through your Holy Spirit. Perhaps there are some here who are feeling it deeply today. Surely there are many who feel it at least a little. By your power and grace, make it into a blessed disillusionment that makes us wiser in our service, that helps us to appreciate the safe and worthy people and places in our lives, and which moves us toward greater trust and dependence on you. Show your face to any listening today who are still nursing wounds or straining against uncertainty. And may the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Amen.